You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hello and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 30, Sarah Jane. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Eldrod lives! <laughs> Eldrod must live. Oh boy. We will get into Eldrad and why he must live later. But how you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. Uh, got a little bit of uh, the croup. A little under the weather, but I still have my voice, so I'm here. And that I'm ready is, to go. That is good. Because, <laughs> listeners to Talking Time Lords, we have been promising this episode for way too long <laughs> we have only rescheduled it three times uh, only <laughs> we were originally going to do this somewhere during season nine but then it became one of those things where we had to take a break one week due to scheduling and then it just was like oh but we need to talk about this episode oh and we need to talk about that episode that just aired and then it was like well now the season's over we should probably just you know let the christmas special play and then do the Recap, and then we'll do Sarah Jane. And so, yes, folks, <laughs> we are finally talking about one of the most beloved companions of all Doctor Who, Sarah Jane Smith. Um, she is my favorite. If you go back and listen to our favorite companions episode, you will definitely hear that. Where does she fall for you, Paul? She is uh, in my top two. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. I'm guessing Donna is number one. No, Donna's number three. Oh, who's number one? <laughs> K9. K9, of course. <laughs> I was like, who's number one? And then I was, I immediately looked up and I saw my little K9 on my shelf. And I went, oh, yes. 
<laughs> I like uh, I like the tin dog. What can I say? Affirmative. Um. <laughs> Spoilers. But of course, uh, obligatory spoiler warning for episodes of a TV show that is over 50 years old <laughs> goes here. But we are going to talk uh, all things Sarah Jane. We're going to talk about her as a character. We're going to hit some of the, the major points throughout her tenure as a companion on the TARDIS. Uh, but before we get into that, we did ask you, our listeners, on our social media what you thought about Sarah Jane. And we did get one response. Uh, Ramona Schnitger says that uh, she didn't like her at first. She seemed to be, uh, to me, a bit of a stunned trout. Not entirely sur- sure what she means by that. Uh, but once Tom... Well, this is an interesting turn of phrase. Once Tom tore the skirt off Victoria's dress, that comes in uh, Pyramid of Mars... <laughs> uh, he let loose a take charge when need to woman who can give who can give as good as take. I'm proud to say that I have grown into liking her. Her later work with her own Scooby gang, uh, she truly is a fruit that has traveled a long way. That is a reference to a line, I believe, but I don't remember who said it. But yes, overall thoughts, Paul, on Sarah Jane before we uh, start diving into some of her episodes? Sarah Jane is one of those characters that... Everybody tries to copy. Um, yes. You know, she is she is one of a kind. She is definitely, definitely one of the best. And uh, she can give as good as she gets with the doctor. You know, it's, it's one of those things uh, where she's extremely intelligent. She's extremely... Uh, well-spoken, extremely witty, you know, she can, she can hold her own in an argument with the doctor, even though he's still the smartest man in the room. Right. Yeah. She, back in the, uh, the seventies, when she first burst on the scene, (laughs) you would have referred to as a plucky young companion for the doctor. Um, but that sort of sells the character short. Uh, in a big way, because she's more than just the plucky young girl uh, who's who joins the doctor and travels with him. Uh, she's she's well, I'm going to say so much more again. Um, I'm repeating myself, repeating myself. But <laughs> <laughs> well, she grows, too, as a she character does. from the time she comes in to the time she leaves. Um And it's more subtle than it is with some other characters, you know. Right. Um, There there are fewer distinct points where you can see her turn the corner. You know, it's more subtle. It's more gradual. And uh, in order to see it more distinctly, you would have to watch, you know, her first and last episodes kind of close together just to see the differences, you know. Right. I watched all or most of Sarah Jane's episodes uh, back when we were originally going to do this topic. And I haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to rewatch all of them. I've rewatched one or two of them here and there since then. Um, so I may be a little bit fuzzy on specific details. Um, but Paul, 
has watched quite a few in the last week. Uh, so when I yeah. ask for a specific detail, Paul, I'm sure <laughs> will have it. Um, well, my, my biggest problem is I have more trouble remembering character names than I do plot points. You know, I can remember story points a whole lot easier than I can remember character names. So we'll probably be feeding off each other with that. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Sarah Jane uh, burst on the scene in 19... Well, the end of 1973, beginning of 1974. John Pertwee's last season as the Doctor in an episode called The Time Warrior. Uh, the Doctor is recently companionless. Joe Grant left him uh, to go traveling with an environmentalist guy. Dude, here's the crazy part, okay? Mm. She started on the show the year that I was born. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The year I, I was born, Doctor Who got canceled. Hey, what womp, does that womp. say? <laughs> I don't know. What does that say? The year I was born, we get the best classic companion ever. The year Jason was born, they shut the show down. What does that say? Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I got to give you grief. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. <laughs> but uh, she comes on the scene. Uh, the doctor is, is set up uh, on a little mission for the brigadier and unit. Uh, scientists are being stolen or disappearing uh, from a top secret project. And the Brigadier has been tasked to keep them safe and to figure out what's going on. He thinks there's something uh, going on, and so he's brought the Doctor in. Uh, and onto the scene comes this reporter, Sarah Jane Smith, who is in person, who is using credentials that her Aunt Lavinia has to get into the uh, <laughs> to get into this top secret area. But the doctor, of course, sniffs her out, and she thinks he's somewhat suspicious because he's being mysterious and coy about everything. Uh, and in the course of events, the doctor uh, discovers that these scientists are being taken back in time, and so he dashes into the TARDIS to track them down. Sarah sees him disappear into the TARDIS, wonders what's going on and what's in there, sneaks aboard the TARDIS just before it dematerializes. And this is right after the doctor got the use of the TARDIS back, you know, because yeah. he's been stuck on Earth for a while, you know. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he, he had, I think, last, the season before he was able to get the TARDIS back to working order. So he mm -hmm. had a season of traveling, but he, he's, he's enjoying being able to travel in the TARDIS again. Of course, the doctor lands back in medieval England. And Sarah Jane comes out, has no idea what's going on, um, and thinks that she's wound up in some sort of, you know, medieval pageant event. Uh, <laughs> and gets captured. <laughs> um, during the course of events, yeah. she, she ends she up... She thinks that she's in medieval times! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the restaurant <laughs> uh, yes yes um uh. during the course of events she winds up uh, in a castle run by the good guys of our story and uh the doctor has been captured slash being entertained by the bad guys and so she thinks that he's 
allied with the evil castle. And I'm being very simplistic of the story here for the sake of time because we can't get into all of it. But her real introduction to the Doctor is capturing him because she thinks he's uh, one of the bad guys. I just thought this was funny because, well, first the Doctor was trying to escape, but then she uses his attempted escape to capture him along with the uh, the huntsman, the good guys, uh, who was actually played by Jeremy Bullock, who later... Uh, wore the suit of Boba Fett in The Empire Strikes Back. But um, that's just <laughs> a little bit of trivia that Paul and I got very excited about. Um, nice. <laughs> but yeah, what, what, did, what did you think about this? Is her first real you know, interaction, other than well, just some pleasantries uh, with the Doctor, is capturing him? Well, I, I watched a lot of the third Doctor episodes out of order, um, starting out, uh, because I, I just kind of said well this story looks interesting i think i'll watch that one and uh, so at my first you know experience with the third doctor i watched some of the stories out of order and i realized this was sarah jane's first storyline so i was like oh i'm gonna watch that one and so it was maybe the second one that i watched something like that and this was actually the storyline that made me really start to like the third doctor <laughs> because of the way that he just exuded that charisma and everything else. And I think part of that had to do with the interaction with Sarah Jane, you know, because the dynamic, uh, not only between the third doctor, but also between the, the third doctor and the fourth doctor, you know, uh, even though they were dynamically different, they were still just as engaging, you know? Um, and, and, uh, they didn't feel forced, you know, at all. And, right. and, and I, I think that that has a lot to do with uh, why people like her as a companion is because she came into this not feeling like she was shoehorned into this thing, you know. Mm -hmm. She just felt organic, you know. And that's how, I, that's how it felt to me when she came into this, this story is it just felt like she just came in organically, you know, and she just kind of appeared in this universe and just became part of it, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. She, uh, she fit very well. And, and as you were saying, her, her interaction with John Pertwee and the, the chemistry that they had on screen, um, yeah, really was what sold it because, you know, halfway through the storyline, she realizes she's made a mistake and she goes, Oh, okay and then she starts working with the doctor and the two of them are able to help solve the the problem of the santaran um and uh and end up working together um and and it was a really good santaran storyline too i mean it was uh it was it was also it, the first you know, santaran storyline right right it, but what i'm saying is you know some of these stories just feel like that they just tell themselves, you know, and this mm -hmm. one just kind of felt like that it just told itself, you know, um, and something else that I thought was was neat about uh, and we may get into this a little bit more, but uh, I thought that it was really in, uh, entertaining to see how John Pertwee's doctor had that little bit of a flirtatious spirit about him when it came to Sarah Jane, but that she never acted like she noticed, 
You know, she <laughs> always acted like that. He never said anything that was just a little bit flirtatious or whatever, you know, because that was just John Pertwee's doctor. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he he just he had that charisma about him and he had just a, enough of that James Bond vibe to him that he could get away with that little bit of flirtatiousness in his in his persona without coming off like some kind of creepy old dude, you know. Right. Um you know, and uh and I thought that was really cool. And and I I liked the way that she just acted like, well, that's no big deal. That's just the way he is. Right. You know, that's just the doctor. <laughs> but uh moving moving along, she has an adventure back with the brigadier in invasion of the dinosaurs, which uh good storyline bad effects um nothing really substantial to talk about sarah jane in that well she was she was the first person to figure out uh what uh, where the the hidden base was and what power source that they were using she's the first one to figure that out and she got captured because of it and so that was the first time uh that kind of you know I guess you'd say a modern day setting that she took the initiative to go and be the one who put their, herself out there. Not so different to some of the modern companions that we've seen. Um, but like, was, you know, uh, but you know, she put herself in harm's way, not even realizing that she was putting herself in harm's way um, because she continued to trust the wrong people, you know, uh, because everybody that was supposed to be a trustworthy person in that story was part of the conspiracy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yes. with the exception of the brigadier, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I thought it was kind of, kind of interesting. The doctor wouldn't listen to her. The brigadier wouldn't listen to her. Nobody would listen to her, but she was the first person to figure out what was going on. And then finally they all came back and said, Oh, she knows what she's talking about, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, pretty much. And um and they they took her serious after that. So, uh which is good. Um <laughs> she then ran across the Daleks and death to the Daleks. Uh she wasn't heavily involved with that storyline that ended up being more about the doctor and one of the uh the native creatures and how they were able to deal with the Daleks. Um but she ran across one of the doctor's oldest foes um, and, and lived to tell the tale. Uh, <laughs> so she, she was useful toward mm-hmm. the end, um, but in the middle, she didn't have that much to do. You right. Know? And of course, we'll, we'll get to death of the Daleks in, in, in short order, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, one of the next big things that I want to hit is her appearance in the monster of Peladon, which is of course the next storyline. Um, this is where we really start seeing uh, a little bit of, of Sarah's moxie come out because she's got yeah. some moxie. She's got some really strong opinions and she's never been afraid to share her opinions with the doctor and to tell him that she thinks he's completely wrong sometimes. But in this story, uh, the, the monarch of Peladon is a, is a young woman who's reigning as uh, queen but it's a society in which 
uh, it's normally run by men. However, her father, the king, had no sons, so she it, it fell to her to uh, take over the throne. But she She's, is she sees herself as more of a figurehead, uh, you know, just just a symbol, you know, right? But with no authority. Yeah. And the doctor at one point tells her, you know, is imploring her to get involved and to do some things and to help stand up and help them actively uh, with some things during the, the crisis that is happening on Peladon. And she looks at him with this uh, look and says, well, but what can I do? I'm only a girl. And yeah. you, you see Sarah react to that statement and the doctor goes, well. Uh, I'm going to go take care of my business now, but I think you should have a nice talk with uh, Sarah here about a little something called women's lib. Um, and he leaves the room. And, uh, you know, the queen yeah. sort of looks at Sarah expectantly and uh, Sarah says, now wait just a minute, your highness. There's nothing only about being a girl. Uh, which is one of my favorite statements from her like she's like whoa 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 <laughs> there's nothing only about being a girl and she she goes on to you know expand that there's nothing only about being a minor either because the minors in the story are also considered sort of second class citizens as well and she sort of right. expands that that everybody's important you know women and uh the the quote unquote lower class as well and she's gets really impassioned about it and so we we see her her bent about you know yes the the political and social view of, of of the women's liberation that was definitely a thing a, you know an issue during the time that this was uh, right. filmed but also just her her view on people as a whole see nowadays those viewpoints would be considered just standard you know points of view but back in those days that stuff was considered liberalism you know um you know, that was just, you know, out there, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't mainstream, I guess you'd say, mm -hmm. you know, and, and really all she was doing was saying, look, people should all be equal. You know, people, just because somebody does this particular job doesn't mean that they're less important than somebody that does that job, you know, mm -hmm. or just because and, they're a particular gender doesn't mean they're less than exactly, part, you know, you know, and she goes, and, you're the queen. Everybody should be uh, listening to you, you know. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Especially since her advisor or high priest or whatever you want to call him was so, you know, staunch in and uh, and so uh, divided with the class system. Exactly. You know, he he was just he he well, for lack of a better term. He was so close-minded that everybody to him was like the enemy, um, it, almost, almost including the queen. You know, yeah, uh, because he, in his mind, he had to be like her father figure because she had no father, and he had to basically tell her what decisions to make in his mind. Right, you know? and it was after this conversation that Sarah has with the queen of Peladon that the queen is able to start standing up and sort of in is serves as the, the instigation uh, and lays some groundwork for the, the priests and the uh, miners to start working together to mm -hmm. band against 
the um, the Ice Warriors who were involved with the situation. And it's a much more complicated storyline than what we're telling you here, but I'm sure we'll talk about it eventually. Um, I was actually surprised to see the Ice Warriors come into this uh, because I, I didn't know ahead of time that they were going to be in it. And um, I was actually kind of happy to see that happen because uh, I, I have not seen a lot of their stuff in the classic series. Um, I, I've seen a little bit, but uh, I, I just think that they're interesting uh, characters, you know. Yeah, they are interesting. And they, they've only made one appearance so far in the new series uh, with Matt Smith. Yeah, we, and we, we should probably do some kind of a uh, recap of that episode at some point, you know. Yes. I, think, I think it's really neat how they used the classic uh, character and kept it almost identical to what we saw before, but then expanded on it, you know, and made it even more interesting than what we already knew. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um but continuing along with Sarah Jane Smith, Planet of the Spiders is the final episode of the Third Doctor's run. And Sarah is, you know, aside from Polly and Ben, uh, is one of the very first companions to ever see a regeneration. Polly and Ben saw the Second Doctor regenerate. And and she's the only, only the third character to see the Doctor regenerate. Uh, she and the Brigadier together. Which is which is which is yeah. nice. It's it's nice to see because here in Planet of the Spiders, uh, Sarah actually is the the reason why the Doctor and the Brigadier get involved with the issue. Former, uh, oh gosh, I forget his name, Captain Yates, uh, who had recently been uh, let go from Unit in a previous episode yeah. because of an attack of the dinosaurs. Yes, or invasion. the invasion of the dinosaurs. I'm sorry. Yes, uh. Uh, he <laughs> he gets in contact with Sarah Jane because the Doctor and the Brigadier have nothing want nothing to do with him because he thinks he's found something that Unit should investigate, and so he's like, "Look, this is, I think there's something weird going on here." And so Sarah Jane goes to this little Tibetan uh, meditation center to see what's going on, and yes, there are some weird things occurring there, and. Sarah goes, all right, I think they should inv investigate. And so she goes back to unit and convinces yeah. the doctor and the brigadier to get involved. And it's nice to see her get to this point, you know, after especially invasion of the dinosaurs, uh, where at first they weren't taking her seriously. Now her recommendation carries weight. Uh, now I do have one little quibble here. Mm -hmm. and, and this is more with the story than it is with her, because and I know we're talking about her. But the one thing I wasn't 100% sure about in this is what was Yates doing there in the first place at the beginning of the story? Trying to, to come to, you know. to peace with himself <laughs> about betraying the doctor and the brigadier. Okay. I mean, I that's can, the I, I can understand that. That's the only, I mean, it's also it, it very just, hip. It's it's also a very hippie destination, and it's the seventies, yeah. so you know. It um, it just felt like they didn't explain why he got there in the first place. That was my only quibble, <laughs> you know. If I if if I had gotten what thirty seconds of exposition at the beginning of it or something to explain that, I wouldn't have had an issue at all. Um, that's, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, so 
she's basically the entire reason why the doctor gets involved in the first place. Um, and unit sort of sits back and just lets the doctor handle this. But during the course of events, the doctor is forced to regenerate. He returns to unit to do this regeneration because he, you know, wants to be close to friends and not just randomly in the TARDIS off by himself. And Sarah and the Brigadier happen to be in the lab when he returns and he comes out and, you know, falls on the floor and says his goodbye to Sarah, which is a very touching goodbye, you know, the tear, Sarah Jane, and proceeds to regenerate right in front of them. She seems to have taken the regeneration of the Doctor a little bit better than Rose did. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. they both witnessed the regeneration firsthand. Mm -hmm. But Sarah Jane was like, she just kind of picked up where they left off and was like, well, it's still the doctor. And she just kept right on going. And, and Rose was more like, I don't know this guy, you know, <laughs> I, he's not the same, you know? Well, um, I think Sarah had the added benefit of having the brigadier there who says he's seen <laughs> it happen before. Um, you know, he's like, Oh, he and, showed, uh, showed back up with a different face, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has happened before. And so she's like, okay, well, this is normal for the doctor, I guess. Um, she sort of, but it is remarkable that she just sort of goes with it. She's like, yeah. okay. Um, and it's funny, the beginning of robot, uh, which is the first episode of the fourth doctor, uh, Sergeant Benton walks in and sees the new doctor laying there on the floor. And he turns to the brigadier and says, who's this? <laughs> that Sergeant Benton is the doctor. Oh, not again. Yes. And this time it happened right in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the Brigadier. <laughs> we'll eventually do a Brigadier episode too. We just haven't scheduled uh, oh. it yet. Yes. Eventually that will happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I will love to talk about the Brigadier. Uh, one of my, <laughs> my second favorite companion, but Robot is, is funny because this is you know, Sarah getting used to the new Doctor. And yet again, uh, while the Doctor is recuperating and recovering from his regeneration, she's doing some journalistic digging into some suspicious going goings-on at a think tank. Uh, she thinks things are going weird there. She gets uh, you know credentials from the Brigadier to go and conduct an interview and investigate. <laughs> Uh, she uses all her contacts very well. She is a, a true journalist at heart in that respect. Um, <laughs> and and she goes looking for answers and runs across this giant robot. Yeah. That Think Tank is using. And it ends, turns out that they're using the robot to uh, steal secret plans and equipment uh, for some sort of apocalyptic event uh, that we don't necessarily need to get into. But... Yeah, They're they, using the robot they, uh, against against its programming. They actually had it go and kill uh, military uh, and steal things from a military base. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then she tracked it down and found it. And she was the first person to ever treat it with kindness. Everybody yes. else treated it like an object, you know. And they were they were having it operate against its prime directive 
and she was like, you know, she noticed that when they were had the prime directive activated, and they tried to, you know, to show her that it can't act act against the prime directive, they said kill her, mm-hmm. and it became very distressed. Distressed, the robot did became extremely distressed about the fact right. that it was being told to do something against its prime directive and she goes and takes pity on it and and goes please don't do that you're you know are you all right and she asked it directly outright are you all right are you okay and he right. he meaning the robot sort of latches on to to that kindness that she showed it um and then of course the doctor gets back on his feet and ends up having to help you know stop the think tank and the robot but during the robot's final rampage, it latches on to Sarah as the one last good in humanity that it has to keep safe. It right. has a very King Kong-esque moment <laughs> with her. Yeah, um, I was watching this, uh, this storyline, and I messaged Jason, and I was like, so, when you got to the end of Robot, did you suddenly think King Kong? And he's like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> because it was a lot like king kong toward the end of it you know oh yeah um robot ended up uh growing (laughs) growing astronomically tall uh through some weird science um and well the, the brigadier tried to shoot it with the uh uh disintegrator gun and he just uh gave it more power through the beam yes (laughs) <laughs> yes and that was not good um because it grew to be about you know four stories tall and picked her up and carried her down to the little village and <laughs> set her on a bell tower while it was trying to fend off the unit soldiers um yeah yeah or a clock tower, and it was almost say. it was almost a um almost a tragedy story you know a uh, story of tragedy uh because of the fact that they made you care about this robot like it was a person, you know. Right. And, and that was all due to Sarah Jane. Yeah, and and you know they the, she even carries that theme out after the the uh um conflict and everything because she is literally standing there you know just kind of I don't want to say in shock, but just kind of disconnected from everything. And, and he, he asks her what's wrong and she just can't let go of the fact that she feels so sorry for what has gone down with this robot, you know? Yeah. And somewhat responsible too, but, and that's something that I can say about Sarah Jane as a character, um, even more so than some of the other, uh, companions and stuff is that you see over and over and over and over again um, Sarah Jane being kind of almost like the embodiment of kindness uh, mm-hmm. whereas, and compassion. Yeah, whereas the doctor is not unkind, he's just not always engaged with other mm-hmm. people, you know? Right. Um, and that is a theme I think that has carried over with some of the modern companions uh, and the doctor as well. Uh, like we said, people trying to recapture lightning in a bottle, I guess with, you know, trying to copy what 
what has happened with Sarah Jane in the past. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She... And we'll get in more into that later. Yes. Um, the arc in space and Sontaran experiments are next. Uh, she plays roles in those. Um, but it, it's sort of your standard fare, uh, Doctor Who, and it's more getting to explore the new regeneration of the Doctor than anything else and sort of getting to know the new Doctor uh, rather than doing any character study with either uh, Sarah or or um, uh, Harry Sullivan, who's the other companion at this point. Uh, it's more getting accustomed to well, them- the new the, Doctor. Sh- the, show, the, show, the show also changed thematically, uh, visually, uh, when the regeneration happened, too. Um, and I think that's part of those episodes as well, is giving you the opportunity to see, hey, look, this is how things are now versus how things were before. You know, and, and I think sometimes they throw certain episodes in uh, just so that they can show you kind of their new version of the universe, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, however, they do end up in uh, Genesis of the Daleks, which is one of your favorite all-time uh, yeah. story arcs. And Sarah Jane runs across the Daleks again, not happy about it, and she gets to meet Davros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have seen this ep- this storyline about five times, I think, uh, but I did not go back and, the, and watch and it again. Uh, and that's since we started episode. the podcast, right? Five times no. since we started the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, because when... Uh, when classic who first came on Netflix, that that was one of the first episodes that I watched was the Genesis of the Daleks. Um, I've watched it at least five times. I know. Um, but I did not go back and, and refresh my memory on it before we recorded. So there will be things that I probably will forget. Right. And, and while the, this is a lot of the doctor coming to grips with, the creation of one of his oldest and most dangerous enemies. Um, Sarah has a very interesting interaction with the doctor. Uh, the doctor is in one of the most, you know, memorable scenes from this story arc is the doctor holding two wires apart that if he touches the wires together, he's going to set off uh, the explosives that he's placed in the incubator room where right. the, uh, the new Dalek mutants are being grown and, and, you know, raised in their test tubes. And he begins to moralize about the fact that does he have the right to do this? And will he be any different from the Daleks if he does do this? And in a very interesting turn of phrase, or not turn of phrase, but a turn of events, uh, Sarah, Sarah Jane tries to convince him to go ahead and do it. Right. Uh, she she's like you know they've obviously been sent here by the time lords to for this purpose and she tells him you have to complete your mission for the time lords do it they're horrible monsters you'll save millions and billions of people if you do this which actually uh, this goes almost contrary to uh who sarah is as a character um in general uh because like i said she is usually the very very kind-hearted person but you can tell just how affected she's been by her experience with the Daleks at this point. Yeah, she 
she's she even has a, a future run in with the Daleks, as we will you know get to later. But I think of all of the foes that she encountered with the Doctor, the Daleks terrified her the most. Mm-hmm. And and we see that with this little not outburst, but this little uh, you know speech where she's imploring the Doctor to do away with them. Because she knows what the Daleks are capable of, and she doesn't want to have anybody else have to encounter that situation. Um, but it is one of those things where it is a little bit contrary to who, who she usually is, because, like you said, she is so caring, she is so kind, but right. the Daleks have terrified her in a way that she doesn't want anything to do with them anymore, and she wants them gone. And so she feels... Uh... Uh, that it is morally acceptable at this point to annihilate them completely, you know, for the good of the, the universe. Right. Um, of course, you know, this is one of those paradoxes that the doctor finds himself in because he's been told time and time and time again by the time Lords don't do anything to change history. But then the, the time Lords send him to Scarrow to, to change history, change history, you know, uh, of course, we'll they get have... into this episode shortly in our Dalek reviews, but uh, I just find that kind of interesting, you know. Yeah. Uh, we'll elaborate more on that later. Right. The The next episode is The Return of the Cybermen uh, for the first time uh, since the second Doctor in Revenge of the Cybermen. So she's run across the Daleks and the Cybermen. Uh, she's hit two of the big three of Doctor Who baddies yeah. uh, in her tenure. She's never run across the Master. So, um, at least not on Doctor Who. I haven't watched any of the Sarah Jane Chronicles, so we're not really going to be discussing those uh, because I have nothing to contribute because I have not seen them. I uh, just want to clarify that. I probably I've, should have said I've that at the seen, outset. I've seen part of those, but uh, uh, I haven't seen all of them. And... Uh... You know, I think we can go back and do another review later if we get a chance to watch them. Well, when we get to that point, if you want to bring up any uh, highlights or you know, any particular character points that you want to bring up from what you have seen, we can do that. But uh, we've still got a couple of things to get to before we get to that point in her timeline. The next season saw her interact once again with the Brigadier and the Doctor in Terror of the Zygons, which is not a bad, uh, not a bad episode at all. I, I do kind of like that a lot. Um, nothing dramatic happens except she begins to think, well, maybe I should go home at the end of it, uh, yeah. because they're back in London during her time or back in England during her time. And so she wants to go back to London and the doctor says, well, why don't I give you a ride? He, you know, she skips back onto the TARDIS and, uh, of course, miss London by about, you know, <laughs> Three millennia and you know eighty <laughs> bajillion light years. Um, so they go to the they go to the planet of evil next. Yeah, um, you have to ask yourself how much of that was actually intentional by, by the doctor. You know, <laughs> right, right. Because we do get the get the idea that the doctor is is formed a very uh, an attachment to Sarah. He likes having Sarah around a uh, lot. Um, and she is his match and we see this time after time, but you know, he goes to her when he asks a question, he bounces ideas off her all the time. If she says something, 
I mean, he'll completely uh, miss it the first time and then go, wait, did you say something? And then she'll repeat it and he goes, oh, yes, that's very good. Um, but that's just the doctor. Um, <laughs> but he's he's really grown attached to Sarah by this point. And, you know, he doesn't like goodbyes. He says that, you know, over and over again throughout the show. Uh, and he did not want to say goodbye to Sarah there, which is why he offered her a lift home and then conveniently missed. Um, you know, Planet of Evil is nowhere near <laughs> London or South Croydon, where she lives in London. Uh, Pyramids of Mars is a little bit closer. They end up in uh, on the property of what will eventually become Unit HQ, but just years before. Uh, Pyramid of Mars is one of my favorite Doctor Who story arcs, not for any particular reason. Uh, the the mummies are a little bit, you know, cheesy in that. I will say, um, I actually like the mummies in that. I thought they were really cool. I like them, but they are <laughs> definitely, uh, especially by today's standards, a bit cheesy. Uh, but I I don't care. But it is one of these storylines that is so just quintessential. Uh, quintessentially what encapsulates the Doctor and Sarah Jane at this point. Uh, this is the two of them on their own uh, for the first time since the third Doctor's run. Well, not the first, Planet of Evil, they were on their own, but uh, I think it really started to shine in Pyramids of Mars. And uh, I, I don't have anything completely specific about this that I want to say, except she begins asking questions... You know, bringing up questions that we've seen asked uh, in the modern series of, well, you know, I know such and such can't happen because right. it didn't turn out that way in my time. You know, she, uh, Sutek is this uh, powerful alien being that is on the verge of being freed. And she's like, look, we don't have to deal with this. It's not our problem. I know he doesn't get free. I know he doesn't destroy the universe because... Things are still around in my time period. Yeah. And the doctor goes, <laughs> are you sure? And takes her on a quick trip to 1980. Uh, and he opens the TARDIS door and says, 1980, if you want to get off. And it's a complete and utter wasteland. Yeah, this is where um, this is where Doctor Who looks at Back to the Future 2 and says, we did it first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's the same type of scenario you know it's uh, if this event does not occur the way that it's supposed to then it changes the entire timeline you know and so mm -hmm. that was the same premise that they had in back to the future 2 where they had to make sure that the events of the past stayed the same so that they would <laughs> have the correct you know present or future or whatever you know right uh, and of course, after you know, after she takes a look out the door, she turns back to the doctor and, she, and he says, "Well," and she goes, "Well, we've got to go back," and she's fully behind the plan from then on, and she's fully determined to uh, to stop Sutek at, at all costs. Well, she understands at that point that the reason why things in her time are the way they are is because they have already done these events in the past. You know, yes, stop Sutek. So. And and if you think about it too, uh, it, it makes you question. You know, we said before that the, the Time Lords don't like anybody going and changing history. 
Yeah, how many of these events uh, are considered changing history, and how many of these events are actually supposed to happen to keep history on track? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and the doctor seems to arbitrarily make those decisions. And... Right. <laughs> Anyway, which is um, why I said he's different from all the other time lords, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the other time lords are we should not get involved in this. We should just observe. And he's like, uh, no, screw that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go do my thing. You know. <laughs> yeah. There are people dying. I need to stop that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, next is the android invasion. Um, uh, another attempt to get it, get back to London, but end up in a replica of London uh, and see android replicas of people that they know. They stop the android invasion. Nothing extremely spectacular, uh, but a fun uh, storyline nonetheless. The brain of Morbius is interesting. That because... one actually reminded me a little bit of the Autons. Oh, the android invasion? Yeah. 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 Just, just a little, you know. Yeah. Because they were shooting out of their hand and stuff, you know. Yes. <laughs> Instead of the hand folding down, yeah. uh, they just pointed and it shot out of their <laughs> finger. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Uh, the Brain of Morbius is an interesting one because for a couple of reasons. One, Sarah Jane meets and survives an encounter with a deranged uh, ancient Time Lord, uh, evil Time Lord, uh, in the you know guise of Morbius. Uh, it's a very Frankenstein's monster-esque sort of episode. And it also introduces the Sisterhood of Karn, because that's where this storyline takes place, is on Karn. And that becomes, you know, a little bit more important nowadays, because the Doctor has revisited Karn a few times in the modern series, and the Sisterhood has played an important role uh, beyond just their own planet uh, recently. Um, yeah, I like the fact that the Sisterhood actually can manipulate regenerations and stuff and, and you know, basically play with it a little bit and, and let you kind of, you know, become this or that or the other when you regenerate as opposed to just being random. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, the one of the neat things about this episode um, is the fact that the doctor relies on Sarah Jane uh, in certain instances. He gets captured by the sisterhood and he's tied up and about to be burned at the stake essentially. And he's trying to talk his way out of it, but it's not having much effect. And Sarah has uh, put on a robe of the sisterhood and slips in with the sisterhood during the ceremony, which they are going to burn the doctor and manages to cut his hands free and uh, enables him to be able to escape. And, of course, I think in the back of his mind, he was counting on Sarah to be there to do that for him. But, you know, obviously he wasn't certain, but he relied on that. Uh, She pays for that a little bit. She gets blinded, uh, temporarily at least, uh, for that act uh, by, uh, I forget her name, but the leader of the Sisterhood of Karn at that point. but by the end of the storyline, she's back to normal. Uh, the Seeds of Doom is uh, more of an adventure story. Not a lot of 
big character development for either the Doctor or Sarah Jane, but it is a fun adventure. Um, it is this storyline where the Doctor refers to Sarah Jane as his best friend. Uh, I don't know if anybody has seen that clip online where the fourth Doctor says, Have you met Miss Smith? She's my best friend. And that happens in this storyline, I believe. Um, That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. He, he thinks very highly of her at this point. She has earned that with him. Yeah. And that makes me very happy. The Mask of Mandragora, uh, Mandragora, as they like to say, is a fun <laughs> little episode. Um, Sarah become, you know, gets curious about something again and ends up being hypnotized, and uh, she doesn't like it, but ends up being uh, very helpful in saving the day again. Uh, then comes the Hand of Fear, and this is her final storyline. Uh, regular storyline during the classic series. Okay. And you, I'm, I'm, you watched this just before we yeah. recorded, right? I'm just going to throw this out there because um, uh, it's fresh on my mind. And uh, mm-hmm. you realize that this is like 1975, 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's 76. Yeah. This, it is. this is where we get the first transgender regeneration in Doctor Who. And it's not uh-huh. a and, and it's not a Time Lord. No, it's not a Time Lord. <laughs> I just found that really interesting because everybody, you know, is now focused on the classic series, saying, "Well, I think there should be transgender regenerations." Da 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 da. And they don't realize this has already been done all the way back in 1976. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we've seen it with the Time Lords here in the new series, the Master and then the General, of course. But everybody's but, acting like it's a brand new thing. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> uh, Eldrad. I forget his race, but he's a silicon-based life form who uses nuclear energy to reanimate, regenerate himself right. from just a hand that was left over. The doctor and, says that it's basically instead of matter creating energy, energy creates matter. Yes. Uh, he's able to convert energy into matter and rebuild himself into uh, a shape that is similar to those around him. And guess who's under the spell of Eldrad at this point? Because she's got his ring. Sarah Jane Smith. <laughs> and so Eldrad comes back as a very uh, rocky jewel-encrusted woman um, who I believe was actually a, a supermodel at the time. The, the actress was a supermodel at the time. Uh, and for those that, who aren't paying attention, this is what we were referring to at the beginning of the show. Yes. <laughs> Eldrad must live, or in his case, Eldrad lives when he's back to yeah. his normal male self um, at the end of the storyline. I literally watched this like 10 minutes before we started recording. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but but Sarah uh gets under the influence of Eldrad. He they wind up, you know, materializing in a quarry in London or in in, in England. Um with all the sirens going off and Sarah finally has to, you know, knock the doctor back to reality and say, "They're about to do some blasting here." And they start running and trying to get out of the quarry before the blasting happens. 
but they don't quite make it and, you know, mounds of earth fall on them and the doctor manages to get out, but Sarah is trapped uh, under, uh, under some rocks and she sees a, a hand through, you know, the, the rocks and the cloud of dust that she's under and she grabs it and it turns out to be the hand of this alien guy and um (laughs) yeah that has not so nice effects on her and she puts on the ring that's on the hand and um that sort of mesmerizes and hypnotizes her to the will of eldrad at that point it was almost a little bit funny at first because she thought it was the doctor's hand uh that she was reaching out to grab and when she when she grabs it, it comes out of the rocks and there's no arm attached to it. And she screams, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then promptly falls unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, due to the, not because she fainted. No, she's not a, a you know, a fainter. Um, it's because she was under the spell. Yes. Under the spell of Eldrad. Uh, the doctor is able to finally rescue her from the Eldrad spell about two episodes into the storyline and they have to return Eldrad home and then find out that Eldrad is not the good guy back home. And so they have to stop him. Right. Uh, And I think Sarah took it even more personally than the doctor did Mm -hmm. Uh, because Because... when she discovered they had been duped, she really, she she acted way more offended about the situation than the doctor did. You know, well, she felt used because right. Eldrad used her to, you know, re- reanimate and regenerate himself. Right, himself, herself, itself. Um, well, it was originally a he, and it turned into a she, and then it turned back into a he. So, yes, because <laughs> that's not confusing. No. Um, <laughs> Allah the master, you know, who will eventually probably turn back into a he at some point. Probably. Um, <laughs> but we'll see what happens with that and when that will happen. Yeah. I, I, I feel like Michelle Gomez is going to be the master slash, slash Missy for a while. And I'm uh, fine with that, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes, me too. But, but it's at the the culmination and the conclusion of the the situation with Eldrad that that Sarah gets really irritated with the situation is because she's been, you know, hypnotized, shot at, knocked out and put in mortal danger more times than she yeah. is used to and she's finally she, hit her breaking point with She it. came inches away from falling into a bottomless pit, you know? <laughs> right. While under the influence. If she had of, not been able to grab the doctor's pants leg, she literally would have fallen in, into an abyss. Yeah. Um, it's not good. No. She, uh, she'd had enough and was making noise and complaining and trying to, you know, get some sort of compassionate response out of the doctor, but he's too busy with his head inside the TARDIS console to really listen or pay attention to what she's saying. Uh, Allah, he literally has his head in the TARDIS console. Allah, uh, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, you know, <laughs> right. And, uh, so she makes a bold threat says, fine, I'm getting my goodies and I'm going home. 
and she storms out of the, the <laughs> console room back to her room to collect her things. He pops his head out of the TARDIS. Did you say something, Senna? He's like, um, why is she always yelling? <laughs> oh. And it is then that the doctor receives a telepathic summons to Gallifrey. The Time Lords are summoning him home. And non-Gallifreyans are not allowed on Gallifrey. Especially humans. Especially humans. Um, They they see humans as like second class or even lower than that. Yeah. They see most species as that because they're a little bit uppity. A little Um, bit like the Daleks, actually. A little bit. Hence the Time War. But we're not talking about the Time War. Um, (laughs) But he gets this summons and he has to obey the summons. And so he has to have Sarah leave. He doesn't want to, but he has to take her home. And so he sets the coordinates for South Croydon, which is where she lives. And she comes back into the room, uh, the TARDIS console, with all of her things. And she goes, all right, I'm going now. He says, how did you know? She goes, know what? I've had the call. I have to go to Gallifrey. And you can't come. And she gets very disappointed because she's like, Gallifrey, you you know, he's talked about it several times and she's not going to be able to see it. And and it was kind of funny because it was almost like it was almost like she had regressed into being a little girl for a moment, you know, mm-hmm. and she's like, OK, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum like a little girl just so that I can get him to react so that he can actually prove that he cares and then we'll just go on about our merry way and that's not what happened yeah no. you know <laughs> i think she was probably expecting him to you know she has all her things uh yeah. ready to go and she was probably expecting him to try and stop her and talk her out of leaving and you know continue traveling right but when she has all her things collected and he goes I'm sorry, you have to go. Yeah. It was one of those things where she, she didn't want to. And, and I honestly feel like that as a character, the doctor had full intentions of coming back to get her at that moment, but it didn't happen. And they have a real, real tender goodbye. The doctor says goodbye. Well, he says, till we meet again, Sarah Jane. Yeah. She walks off the TARDIS outside into the neighborhood that he's dropped her off in. He dematerializes the TARDIS. She takes a breath and then realizes she's not in South Croydon. (laughs) She's nowhere near South Croydon. (laughs) She ends up in Aberdeen, Um, (laughs) which is probably close compared to the TARDIS, but not for walking distance. I I think she was in the right time, but not in the right place. So she ends up telling a nearby dog that's laying on the street enjoying the sunshine, <laughs> he blew it. And she starts giggling and walks down the street. <laughs> walks down the street whistling. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, I won't say the last time we saw her in the classic series. She appeared in the the Five Doctors special. Um, right. But that was, uh, that was supposed to be her being pulled out of a previous time with the Doctor. 
Uh, and so that was a little bit out of sync with the rest of the timeline, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the same thing that we had with, uh, the day of the doctor. But that's essentially other than the five doctors. The last time we see Sarah Jane in the classic series, however, it's not the last time we see Sarah Jane. Well, she was such First a popular all, character that they actually intended to do a spinoff series with her uh, when she left the show, mm-hmm. and it didn't fly. Yeah, I think so, they they had a couple episodes out there, and it didn't yeah. work. Um, and I'm not so sure if that was because of the character as much as it was uh, the production uh, situation. Yeah. You know. One thing I do know about that is that in the first episode, which is actually on one of the Doctor Who DVDs, um, I forget which which DVD it's on. It's not an episode, not a DVD that has Sarah Jane in it. Um, it's one that has Leela. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which which one that is. But um, the Doctor sends a, a present to her, which ends up being, I, I think it's Mark II or Mark III. Uh, version of K9. Yeah. So she owns a version of K9. Identical to the one that the doctor had, but basically a clone, you know? Yes. Um, He copied the hard drive into another one. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that spinoff that they tried to start back then actually ended up being kind of a prequel to what ended up being the new Sarah Jane series few years back you know the sarah jane chronicles yeah but before she started the sarah jane chronicles she appeared in the episode school reunion which was during the second season of the new series uh david tennant and as the doctor and billy piper as rose tyler uh end up back in london because mickey smith has called them to investigate some bizarre goings on at a school Right. Turns out Sarah Jane is also curious about the strange goings on at the school and is still a journalist and uh, is doing some digging. And whereas the doctor has inserted himself into the school as a substitute teacher, she's actually going there uh, as a journalist to interview the headmaster. And they run across each other, obviously. The doctor recognizes her immediately, and she does not recognize him. When he introduces himself as John Smith, she goes, oh, I had a friend who went by that name. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) He knows exactly who she is from the jump, though. Yes. And you can tell by the look on his face that he feels really guilty about the fact that he never came back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course, after hours, while the Doctor, Rose, and Mickey are are poking around in the school, uh, Sarah Jane breaks into the school by a window uh, and sneaks in to do some poking around of her own. Instead of finding out anything suspicious going on with the the school itself, she finds the TARDIS. Yeah. And the scene (laughs) where, where he reveals himself to her. Yeah is a really nice little scene. Yeah. And, and I, I, I wonder if anybody besides Tennant could have pulled it off quite as well, uh, with her, 
I, I think Capaldi could have, but I'm not so sure about any of the other modern doctors, you know? Yeah. Um, because there's, there's just a certain tone that he has in that, in that scene where it just feels so earnest, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it actually almost made me tear up, you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things at first where she's, you know, happy that he's still around and he's still alive because she didn't know yeah, if he was alive or dead. Um, but she's also kind of <laughs> hacked off at him yeah. for, you know, he said he'd come back and he never did. And, you know, it, why, you know? Well, it, it, it almost smacked of a jilted girlfriend kind of feel, but considering that they never technically had a romantic relationship, you can't really say that. Right. You know, but there definitely was a tone between the two of them where, uh, they kind of interacted almost like an old married couple, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And of course, they sort of play up on that with with Sarah Jane and Rose Tyler because yeah. Rose is quote unquote the new Sarah Jane, right? You know, the new updated look uh, <laughs> that the Doctor has for his companion. Um, and there's that great scene where they they finally have it out with each other, and they 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 really address the elephant in the room and the fact that they're both jealous that. Uh, you know, one, Sarah's jealous because, you know, upset that the doctors never mentioned her. Uh, and Oh, yeah. <laughs> that and she almost acted and Rose, like that was a slap in the face or something, you know. And Rose is a bit <laughs> teed off because the doctor hasn't mentioned that she's not the first. Right. Um, and, that <laughs> and she's, she's definitely not the first. <laughs> right. Oh. And so does any of it mean anything? And so that... The scene where they're trying to one up each other is really funny, though. Yeah, um, and it ends. They play off each other really well, too. Yes, Billy Piper and Elizabeth <laughs> Sladen were great in that scene together. Uh, I loved it. Um, Does he still walk around and stroke parts of the TARDIS? <laughs> yes, I, yes, yes. I'd like to let me alone. <laughs> And then he walks into the room after they've sort of reached that that <laughs> note of camaraderie, and they're just laughing at him, and he gets very awkward. He feels very awkward about the whole situation. Oh, um, speaking of the TARDIS, uh, just throwing hmm. this out there, when I was watching these episodes, uh, I thought it was really neat. Uh, right towards the end of the third Doctor's run, um, it might even been in Planet of the Spiders, um, where... Uh, the doctor is referring to the TARDIS and he's referring to her or he's referring to the TARDIS in a feminine way, you know, as, you know, uh, talking about her like she's a a woman, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it's the brigadier uh, says to the doctor, you refer to her like she's alive. And the doctor just grins and says, yes, I do. Don't I, you know, I just, I, I picked up on that immediately, you know, and I thought, oh, that's so great. That's so great, considering that the Doctor blatantly uh, explains later on in the new series that the, the TARDIS is actually alive. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do, don't I? Uh, 
And, and he said it so casually as if it was like, you haven't figured that out yet, you know? Yeah. It was, <laughs> like it was no big thing, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, at the end of, of school reunion, uh, the doctor and and Rose invite Sarah to travel with them. Sarah Jane to travel with them again. And Sarah's like, no, no, I have other commitments. And, and I, you know, yeah. that time has passed. So the doctor, you know, is about to just sort of, you know, walk off and, and leave her there again. And she goes, no, say goodbye. Let's really say goodbye. You know, don't, let's not leave it open-ended again. Yeah. We, we need a little bit of a note of finality here for both of our sakes. Uh, and so she makes him say goodbye, Sarah Jane. And it's another one of those very touching scenes. Yeah. Um, and of course he leaves her canine all refurbished and everything, puts it back together again. Brand new body. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Brand new body, you know, same, all same, shiny. And same new. brain. <laughs> yep. Yep. Just all shiny and new. Yeah, and and but, just a side note, um, when uh, she took the doctor back and showed him uh, canine uh, non-working at that point, and and you know he pulls that uh, that cloth back and he's like <gasps> canine. And yes, I almost turned into Tom Cruise jumping up and down on the couch. You know. <laughs> I was... <laughs> I think I was almost I, I was probably more excited to see that than I was to just see Sarah Jane come back because I just had it in my head that they would never bring him back in the modern series because people would, you know, be so afraid that uh, fans would not accept him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now since they're going back to the more classic vibe and stuff with Capaldi and stuff. I think it's becoming more of a possibility that things like that could happen down the road, depending on what the showrunner decides, you know? Yes. The new showrunner. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, of course, Sarah Jane does make one more appearance in Dr. Who, the stolen earth and journey's end, uh, the two part season finale for, uh, series four, uh, she and uh, Rose and uh, I almost call him John Perkby. I was like, that's not right. John Barrowman. Uh, yeah. What is his character's name? Why am I blanking? Captain on, uh, Jack. Uh, Captain Jack. <laughs> Captain Jack Harkness. I was like, John Pertwee, John Barrowman, Captain Jack. There we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually really uh, like his character, but that's just a side, you know. Yeah, no, Captain <laughs> great. But we get Donna, Sarah Jane, uh, Rose, Captain Jack, Mickey, the idiot. Uh, <laughs> well, he's he's not so much at this point. He's he's no. he's grown. He was at and, the beginning. <laughs> yep. And Martha. Yeah. And am I missing anybody else? Uh, yeah. Who is it? <laughs> Four knocks. Will? Yeah. Wilfred? Yes, well, him too. Um, he wasn't actually on the spaceship, but he was prevalent in the episode. Yes, that's true. Um, 
But they all, you know, team up together in a big, you know, superhero team up mashup thingy uh, at the end uh, to help defeat Davros and the Daleks, who are finally making good on their plan to move the Earth uh, and use it in an alignment to create a reality bomb and destroy the universe. Because yeah. Davros does not have uh, melodramatic, <laughs> melo megalomaniac goals at all, does he? Um, Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. Conquer the universe, crush the lesser races. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. We will eventually get to the episode where we talk about when that happens. <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. It's one of the best moments that the Seventh Doctor has. In case, if, in case uh, everybody doesn't know, we will be just uh, going into our third Doctor Dalek episodes uh, on our next episode. So yes, and we'll remind everybody that at the end here shortly. But it's great because I believe Davros recognizes Sarah Jane. In this episode, am I am I remembering that correctly? I think so. I believe so. Yeah, he he recognizes her. She definitely recognizes him. Yeah. And when they first discover that it's the Daleks who have moved the Earth, uh, obviously Captain Jack is worried about it, and some of the others are worried about it. But it seems like the one who is most affected by the fact that it's the Daleks that are at the heart of this whole problem other than the doctor is Sarah Jane. Yeah. She's like, this is bad. This is very, 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 very bad. I know there's, you know, it'll take a miracle to get us out of this. It'll take the doctor to get us out of this and he's nowhere to be found, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you do realize how difficult it is for me not to talk about these episodes ahead of our scheduled time, right? <laughs> We're just focusing on Sarah Jane. I know. And that's, <laughs> it's so difficult for me not to talk about these episodes, <laughs> but we will talk about them in due time. In detail. So, yeah. In due time. <laughs> um, but at the end of it all, after they've won the day and, you know, all piloted the TARDIS back home. That was a good scene. It I, was a I great thought scene. that was fun. Sarah Jane has a very insightful statement that she leaves the do the doctor with. Uh, she says, you talk like you're such a lonely man, but look at you. You've got the biggest family on earth, you know, referring to all the companions and everybody that he's run across and traveled with. And sometimes it takes someone like Sarah Jane, someone who's, you know, a little less uh, of a, of an eternal figure, uh, to sort of remind the doctor like that. Yeah, hey, you've had some amazing times. Don't be so down and so sad and so lonely. Ironically enough, this is right before the doctor ends up being alone for a nice chunk of time. Well, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that's you know, right before yeah. you know he has to. Uh, you know, save Donna and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate that. I hate that scene. <laughs> that uh, we, hurts me so bad. We get uh, we get a little bit of a, a you know, contradiction there. Not a contradiction, but a little bit of a, a. I guess you'd say both sides of the coin there, because you you see 
uh, I guess what you call the head side of the coin where he has all these companions and all these people, you know, that's got his back and everything. But then you see the, the tail side of the coin where he doesn't stay around and he, he runs off and he has no companion, you know, cause he's in such an emotional state after what happened at the end of that storyline. And, uh, he realizes that he needs somebody like Sarah Jane in his life, you know. Unfortunately, uh, she does not come back. No. And unfortunately, uh, Elizabeth Sladen has since passed away. Uh, and so we won't be getting any more uh, episodes with Sarah Jane Smith. It makes me sad. It makes me sad, but yeah. they can't replace Elizabeth Sladen in that role. No, they, no, they can't. That that would. There will be never be another one of her ever, in my mind. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Big Finish uh, is not running any more stories with Sarah Jane either. So no, uh, new stories, so. yeah. Um, at least not for a time. Speaking of not being able to replace Sarah Jane, do you want to do some of our comparisons between her and some of the modern companions? Why don't you go ahead and jump into that? Because because you're a, a little <laughs> a little bit fresher on some of these episodes than well, I am. Um, go ahead and and you were bringing this up before uh, we jumped into the the episode here. So. I I notice that of course there's not been a I guess you'd say a clone of Sarah in any of the modern companions, uh, as much as they've tried, uh, there are some similarities between her and Rose. Um, and I think that's very intentional. Um, but I don't know if it's just the personality coming through of the actor or what, but Rose is not Sarah. I mean, as much as I like Rose, she's just not Sarah, you know? Um, and, the same thing with Clara. I, I really, really think that they were trying to, you know, make a clone of Sarah Jane with Clara. Mm. I mean, they even started I, dressing Clara more and more and more like Sarah Jane towards the end of her run, you know, in the same style of clothing and things like that. And, you know, I, I, I see a lot of parallels in some of those characters, but they just... I don't know if they just don't fit the bill or if they just are trying to make it less obvious. So they change little things about it, you know, just so that it doesn't look like that they're trying to clone Sarah Jane. You know, I don't think they're trying to clone Sarah Jane, but there were so many things that they got right with Sarah Jane yeah. that they're trying to uh, feed off of of some of those elements that she brought to the show because she, she set the bar. Yeah. Of what it means to be a companion. Uh, she is the quintessential classic doctor who companion. Uh, there's no one more iconic as a companion than Sarah Jane. When you talk about the classic series, uh, I mean, Yes, there's people that are recognizable, and there's people that, you know, there's the firsts, you know, you know, Susan, Ian, Barbara, the first, you know, there's other iconic characters, but no one has the status in classic Doctor Who in, as a companion that Sarah Jane has. And so I think with some of the new companions, they're trying to 
sort of build off of what Sarah Jane established. And, right. you know, they do that with Rose in, uh, you know, fairly successfully, I think. And um, the other one that I think was very successful in the vein of the Sarah Jane is Donna. Yeah, um, I will agree with that. Because Donna is probably the most similar to Sarah Jane uh, of any of the, the new companions because she want, was just a friend. Yeah, personality-wise, Donna is not Sarah Jane at all, but right. in every other way, she's Sarah Jane. You know, In the way that she interacts with the Doctor and the relationship that they have with right. the Doctor is they're very fast friends. Um, and that's the way that it ends up being with Sarah Jane and... And the doctor is they it, like I said there there's a, a scene in the classic series where Tom Baker says, "Have you met Miss Smith? She's my best friend." Yeah, and and that's sort of the type of relationship that Donna ends up having well, with the doctor in the classic um, series. I think the closest they probably ever came to that in the classic series after Sarah Jane was maybe with Romana, maybe, mm-hmm. but there was there was a definite difference there too. You know. Uh, because right. Romana was a, a time lord or a time lady, whatever you want to call her. And so they they had a different dynamic from the start, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's probably the closest that they came after Sarah Jane. Um, and all the way up until the, the, the modern series, I think. And, and you don't want to clone or replicate a character because then you know what's you know what's the point uh you know well, you, you can't you can't recapture lightning in a bottle but right but there are and, definite and that's elements. kind of what i felt like they were trying to do with a couple of the modern day companions was a, i felt like they were trying to capture lightning in a bottle again you know um rose and clara being the two that i think are the most you know in that direction you know um but they, I think Donna was more on point than they were, you know. Yeah, and you know, there there is no one who who can replace Sarah Jane or, no. or become a Sarah Jane. No. She's she's a one of a kind, and and there's a reason why she is so beloved by fans, including the ones on this podcast. Um, so one of the best ever. Well, when I when I found out she passed away, I actually teared up a little bit, you know. Never met the woman, but she holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. I unfortunately by the time I got into Doctor Who, she had I think just passed. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have that emotional impact of hearing about her death um until I realized that she had already died by the time I got into the show, unfortunately. Um but there's so many things, though, that you want to be able to say about the character. But, you know, a lot of that is just how great the actress is, you know, and and a lot of that you really can't put into words. A lot of that you just have to you have to see it. And when you see it, you know it when you, you know, it, it's certain things you just can't describe verbally. You know, you just have to experience it. And I, yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes Sarah Jane uh, so special in the classic series is you just have to experience her, you know, uh, you, you really just, you can't put your finger on exactly what makes that character so special. Right. Right. She's, she's got this intangible 
element to yeah. her that you can't put your finger on fully. You just have to uh, experience experience Sarah Jane for yourself, and then yeah. you'll understand why she is such a beloved character and why so many of the companions try to live up to yeah. what she set for. And I think that is 100% Elizabeth Sladen, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I, I honestly think that you see at least part of her as a person come out in that character. Right. Well, we encourage you all to go back and uh, watch some of Sarah Jane's classic episodes because uh, she really is a remarkable character. I recommend Pyramids of Mars. <laughs> uh, so do I. Again. So do I. <laughs> Again, yes, Paul's finally seen it. I finally got to experience it. It's a really good story. Um, yes, now, now you can see why it's one of my absolute favorites of all time. And for all of the people out there that are just diehard New Who fans and think that they won't like anything to do with Classic Who, I really encourage you to give Classic Who a try. Uh, I will give the disclaimer, focus more on the stories and the characters and less on the execution. Yes, because, less on the special effects. Yeah, because <laughs> they worked with what they had. But the, some of the stories are absolutely fantastic. And the characters, uh, are, they're, they're just some of the best characters that you could ever experience. Yeah. All right, before we wrap this up, uh, we just want to go ahead and quickly address a couple of quick news items. Um, yep. There's been some uh, news that's happened since we last recorded. <laughs> like uh, right so. after. <laughs> Right. Um, the first piece of news is the fact that Series 10 will be Stephen Moffat's final season Yeah. on Doctor Who. He's going to do Series 10, and then he's stepping down. And um, Chris Chibnall, I think is his name? Yeah, uh, sounds right. Is going to be taking over as the showrunner for Doctor Who. He's currently finishing up the final season of Broadchurch. Yeah. Uh, which stars David Tennant. Uh, so I have not seen that show. I want I've to see that show now. I've seen all of season one um, and part of season two. I've not finished season two yet, but season one is outstanding. Uh, it's a crime show, right? Yeah. And it keeps you guessing up until the very end of season one. Uh, it keeps you wondering what the truth really is. And when you finally find out what the truth really is, you, you literally sit there and go, I never would have figured that out. You know, <laughs> because <laughs> it, it's, it's done in such a, you know, such a clever way, you know, that you, you really don't figure out the answer until the end of it, you know, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. I want you to watch it. Um, okay. Does it make sense though? Does the answer make sense throughout the, it, from it actually what does. the series does? It actually does. Okay, good. But then season two is kind of a continuation after season one. Uh, season two, I've been uh, kind of getting mixed reviews from people on, uh, you know, trying to stay spoiler free, obviously. But um, a lot of people say that season two wasn't necessary because season one ended so well. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, I won't know that for myself until I finish watching it. So, all right. So uh, I don't know a lot of Mr. Chibnall's work. Apparently he's written a couple episodes of Dr. Who and he wrote some episodes of Torchwood, um, and, or was a showrunner on Torchwood. Was he a showrunner on Torchwood? I'm not, or did he write no, episodes? that was, uh, 
uh, Davies was a showrunner on Torchwood. He's okay. he's always been the showrunner on Torchwood. Okay. Uh, but I but he he wrote some episodes. I'm pretty of sure that he did, and there were some really good stories in Torchwood. So. Uh, so, which you need to still go back and watch. <laughs> we'll see. There, um, there is an episode in Torchwood that is a direct tie-in uh, with the the Dalek Cybermen episode uh, at the end of season two. So, yeah, interesting. Well, the other piece of news is a little less. Well, one other thing of news is that uh, Peter Capaldi. Uh, this may be his final season as well as the doctor because uh, Chibnall may decide he wants to start with a new doctor, uh, like oh. much the way Moffat did when Davies left. Uh, but Cap- there Capaldi's is Capaldi's not specifically said he wanted to leave, right? But there's a lot of speculation that they're going to push him out, you know? Right. And th- there's nothing concrete about that. Uh, he'd like to stay. Um, I think it would be great. Uh, if Capaldi stayed on for at least Chibnall's first season, that way he sort of breaks in the new showrunner. Um, I, I would I, like I, the transition that way. That's just my opinion. Uh, it's going to be similar to the way that a companion sticks around when the Doctor regenerates. Right. Um, we sort of get that continuity um, between you know new regenerations of the Doctor with the companion sticking around. And so I think it would be nice to have the Doctor stick around while the showrunner regenerates. If, um, if I had any criticisms at all about the show changing hands uh, last time, it would be the fact that it literally almost felt like that they were starting a brand new show. You know, mm-hmm. when Tennant left and, and Smith came in, it literally almost felt like these are not even the same show. And the, the reason I think that was is because there was nothing left intact from Tenet's run. Literally mm-hmm. nothing left intact. Everything changed. You know, Sonic Screwdriver was different. Doctor was different. TARDIS was different. You know, every Companion was different. Everything was different. And as, as nice as that can be for a showrunner sometimes to have that feeling of freedom to do that, sometimes it can be a little jarring for the fans to see that, you know, yeah. because there's not a smooth transition. I have seen some fans out there on social media going, please keep, you know, keep Peter around, you know, do season seven with Peter or 11, excuse me, yeah. with Peter, you know, trying to already uh, talk to Mr. Chibnall and, and get his attention on that, that they want Peter around. Um, well, the, so we'll see what happens. The biggest criticism I've seen online of Peter is from um, actually f- more from female fans than anything else because they they want the the dreamboat doctor to come back basically, you know. But then again, there's also female fans that find Capaldi very. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I'm just saying that's really the only criticism I've seen. The rest of the the comments I've seen of Peter. Are mostly are pretty positive, you know. Especially, especially with what we got at the end of series nine. Yeah. But we digress. Uh, the other big news is that it looks like uh, Netflix and Hulu are both getting ready to drop Doctor Who Boo! at the end of January, beginning of February. 
yeah, we don't like this because no. we like being able to stream our Doctor Who in very convenient yeah. ways. Now, I will say that I saw an article that Nerdist.com uh, ran saying that BBC had talked about a their own streaming service mm-hmm. for the United States and that we may be getting that sooner than we anticipated now that uh, Doctor Who and many other BBC shows are leaving some of these streaming devices. So, uh, you know, hold your breath. Hopefully things will change and maybe we'll get Doctor Who back on our streaming devices very shortly, either back on Netflix and Hulu or with a different uh, BBC streaming service. Um, If that is the case, I will be dropping Hulu for certain and going to that. Um, I've used Netflix for a couple of other things, so I won't drop Netflix purely out of Doctor Who. Um, But I keep Hulu around because of its vast catalog of classic episodes that I don't have direct access to. So I'm going to be a little upset about this. See, that's that's the problem that I see is here we're doing our reviews and stuff. I really don't want our listeners to have to go out and find a DVD or something just so they can watch the episode that we're talking about, you know. Right. Uh, we or or illegal downloads of it. Right. I mean, I I want everybody to be able to experience this stuff because it's just really great, you know. It is. So we will see what happens. Um, hopefully, BBC will announce its uh, American streaming service because it's only leaving Netflix in the U.S. Yeah, because Netflix, that makes Netflix, sense, right? <laughs> Netflix uh, in Canada and Netflix in the U.K. will still carry Doctor Who, just not the U.S. Yeah, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. No, no. But uh, hopefully by the time we record next, we will have new information about that and we'll be able to pass that on to you guys. Until then, if you want to get in contact with us about anything, about what we talked about on the show, about any of the news, you can go ahead and do that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter account is at Talking Time Lords if you want to tweet us. Or you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. All of our previous episodes... Uh, are found in our TARDIS on the internet, which is TalkingTimeLords.com. So check that out. Paul's been doing a great job with all the images that he creates for the episodes. Um, (laughs) They're uh, light years away of anything I could come up with. I I don't Um, know about all that. (laughs) Oh, stop with this. Seriously, accept a compliment once in a while. Um, Okay, okay, okay. Um, now guys, we really like getting feedback from you guys. Um, by all means, you know, hit us up, talk about the show with us and stuff, you know, uh, and we, and since, since the holidays are over, we're going to try and be a little bit more interactive on our social media. And we promise we won't bite your head off. If you, if you have a critique of something that you want to, you know, give us or something, we, we, we are more than happy to interact with you guys on multiple levels. So, yes, yes. Well, we hope you enjoyed this companion episode um, about Sarah Jane. Next episode, we will be back. We will be returning at long last <laughs> to our Dalek episode <laughs> reviews. We started this uh, at the big, be- you know, near the beginning of our, our podcast. We've made it all the way through the Dalek storylines from the first doctor and the second doctor, which are only surviving in reconstructions. You can go back and listen to those if you want to hear about those stories. 
uh, in our on our website. Go ahead and download those. Uh, but we will be starting with the third Doctor's first encounter with the Daleks in Day of the Daleks uh, next episode, which will hopefully be next week. And this will be new for me because I've not seen this one yet. So, so I've only seen it once. And that's because I saw the DVD at Barnes Noble and I was like, I haven't seen this before. I need to see this. And I bought it and I watched it. <laughs> yeah, the... Um... The nice thing for me so far with these Dalek episodes uh, is, uh, at least in these classic episodes that we're doing, they're all written by the same person. So they have a cohesive kind of feel to them, you know. Um, I think that's going to change with Day of the Daleks, though. I'm not entirely certain, um, but I think that may change. Terry Nation, yeah, I think. is, is... Terry Nation wrote like all of the first and second Doctor episodes uh, with the Daleks, and... I know that he writes at least part of the third Doctor episodes, but I'm not sure about the next one. Yeah. So, but uh, that will all happen next time. Is there anything else you want to address before we sign off, Paul? I'm going to go back and watch some more Sarah Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. Uh, All right. Well, I believe that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 30, Sarah Jane. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. Ha ha ha